You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, where you will meet entrepreneurs, cultivators, scientists, doctors, and inventors in the cannabis industry. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, a marketer and publicist specializing in the cannabis industry. Is New York State doing social equity entrepreneurs a favor by putting them first in line for cannabis business licenses that will cost them millions to launch? Let's meet Dizo E.L. He's a Brooklyn legacy grower, a cannabis activist, and someone who's been jailed because of it. Born and raised in the projects in Brownsville, Brooklyn, Dizo wants to participate legally in the industry and benefit from the plant that unjustly jailed many in his community, but he realized the high financial risk it would be if he tried to open a dispensary or cultivation facility. So he decided to take things into his own hands to enter the legal market without New York State's help. He obtained a hemp nursery license and opened a storefront in Williamsburg, Brooklyn to start building his brand, Bee Milk Grow Supplies. He gives classes twice a week on how to grow cannabis at home and sells all the supplies you need to get started. He aims to provide the tools to people who can benefit from cannabis but can't afford it by educating them on how to grow it. Let's meet Dizo. Yeah, great. I'm here in uh, Dizo's uh, nursery in uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Lots to talk about. So I guess the first thing I would love to know about is to talk about Bee Milk Nursery Grow um, and cannabis, you know, which is a nursery and supplier of cannabis grow equipment and would love to know how you, uh, uh, why you decided to go for the nursery license first and just tell us about your shop and its mission and its goals and what you're doing. Okay. Um, Originally, because I had one business plan that was formatted based on what we wanted to do as far as cultivation, having a grow supply store and working with those parameters. Thus, like everything else that has happened in other states I was in, in DC, New Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania, and then knowing about the information from California, all of the regulations and legislations that they start out with, within six to eight months, everything's gonna change. Now, the problem is, is even though they've had these town meetings, town hall stuff, people could come and talk, uh, I got with Governor Cuomo back in 2018, 2019. Mm. I was on the formidable staff that was first run giving them update information about us and where they need to go because uh, their staff wasn't capable to actually even consort or consume the idea of these things when a couple of examples, people on their committee didn't smoke people on a committee that never been arrested, people on a committee that never sold cannabis or weed to survive, to feed their family. It's a regular job. Like you could work at a flat fix store, you could deliver food, cannabis selling delivery is the same thing. Just like women who socially do things with their bodies. It's all part of the economic growth of your community and environment. You know, you got women that don't want to sell their body, but shit. They don't have the education to make it. You got guys that don't got the education to do this, but damn well, they know how to grow weed better than 
the average person. So actually, I, I should have started out with what is your experience in the marketplace? And then I would love to step back and talk about the whole Cuomo meeting and how, yeah. he, how he was starting out. But yeah, so you grew up in New York? or was I'm it just from a... Brooklyn, Brownsville, East New York in the projects. Grew up in the house, then moved to the projects and do life from the late 70s to the 80s. I'm 60 years old this year, this month. So there's a lot of experience of ducking and dodging and hiding and you can't have friends to your place. You can't even have a girlfriend over certain things because your craft and your knowledge of growing cannabis during those times was dark. You don't even want to let one person know, you know, what you're doing because you sacrifice your whole existence for this plant. Yeah, you can't. I mean, back then. You're talking about going to jail for prison. growing a plant like damn broccoli. Right. You're talking about going to jail or giving years for selling a plant like broccoli or potatoes or damn right. corn. Right. Why? Because what it takes to grow tobacco and what it takes to distill and make alcohol is not a natural process for the things that they've made legal, ATF, those kind of things. So when you think of a crop like cannabis that is a medical and medicinal property, nothing like alcohol, cigarettes, tobacco, they don't help you do nothing. They deteriorate your body, whereas cannabinoids and cannabis helps. Yeah. So so then you uh so you basically were selling to in the old days were you growing in the old days? Yeah, growing and selling to anybody that would buy it. How did you how did you grow in the city? You outside the city you were growing? You grow in your apartment, in a house, in your room. Oh, okay. They didn't the have lights? tents a lot of they didn't have, yeah, with the lights and everything. They didn't have a lot of tents back in the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. But people just grew in an open room blacked it out, put air in and air out so you could have heat temperature control. Also back then, the lights was mostly high pressure sodium, which caused a lot of heat, caused your light bill to go up, unlike LEDs today. But those were certain things you had to work around. So how did you get noticed by Governor Cuomo's team to be picked to, uh, in his basically exploratory time in the cannabis industry uh just going to a few of those town hall meetings and signing up and then talking to them afterwards getting their card and being like hey i'm not just the person that's trying to deny having it in my county city because you got white folks with money that uh, i don't see cannabis knowing since 40s 50s they're never going to ever believe that cannabis is good for you but guess what they got guns oh. they smoke tobacco cigarettes they actually drink alcohol. So for these people to have some idea about cannabis, but you do all these unruly things to harm your body, but you're not looking into the medical properties of what cannabis benefits to the one that's in your family with dementia, mm -hmm. um, appetite uh, deficiency, anorexia, uh, bronchitis, cancer, um, cataracts, um, it's just uh, an array of so many things that this one plant can do to help you. Whereas all these things that are legal, all they do is deteriorate your body and your whole being. Okay, so way back when, none of us knew about this. How did you get educated on this beyond just uh, smoking for recreational? In the beginning, it was mostly just 
smoking. Oh, I love to smoke. Let me get some of this. And then you start looking to find better grades of cannabis and weed. High Times Magazine was a big, big helpful thing, late 70s, 80s, because when you didn't know anything about what THC was in 80, 85, it's telling you particular buds like that was popular back then was like Arizona Red or Chocolate Thai or some Sour Diesel. It would tell you that's a sativa, that's an indica, that's a sativa. And there was no hybrids back then. There was no hybrids in the late 80s, early 80s. And as far as I learned when I was growing, it was the original crop, the original seed. Mm. Like today, we got banana, pineapple hybrid, uh, sour jack, which is like the sour diesel and jack harrow. Or you get, you know, these crazy upside down pineapple cake or um, garlic butter and you know, Emerald Fire OG, all these are made up hybrids that came within the last 20 years. They are not original strains. They are hybrids, combination of two, three, four combinations to get to where we are today. So way back in the 80s, uh, wasn't, wasn't most of the weed coming from Mexico or South America? I mean, of course, California. Um, but you're saying it, back then we hadn't really started uh, crossbreeding and things right. like that? Well, the genotype of understanding what was good, what was bad, what is male, what is female, started more so the late 80s, separating the genotypes of seeds and plants found around the world that people could bring from California, Indonesia, China, Japan. Africa, Cairo, Egypt, bring them back to America and breed those and then crossbreed those with other original strains that's already here, which the evolution of cannabis proceed in progress to where we are now, just moving forward, constantly finding a higher THC, the bigger yields, um, the less time to flower. All these properties are different things that we've learned throughout the last 25, 30 years. So um, so basically, um, Cuomo's administration was the first that you kind of heard about the talk of, okay, we're talking, you know, we want to legalize, which is really early on. No. You know, look how- um, Pennsylvania and DC, where I was at, started um, in 2014 and 2013, way before New York even fathomed the idea or to put it into swing. And for two or three years, they held it back on budgetary stuff when they announced that we're going to do it, but it took another two years for them to actually do it. And now look at uh, D.C. and Pennsylvania are behind us. I mean, if it really wasn't for Cuomo's, you know, um, different stuff, and different stuff that got him into trouble, we probably wouldn't be here today. But, <laughs> but it's, it it's, is funny. Yeah, it's the thing that, you know, look, I work in between like New York is uh, uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. When I was in D.C., it's the DMV, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Mm -hmm. And then in between that is fucking Delaware. So I've worked with seven states on the east, right in between, up and down, getting seeds, talking to growers, uh, guys like uh, uh, D.C. Scrogger, um, one of my homies who passed, uh, phone homie, who was a big help with us uh, doing the gifting thing and mm -hmm. getting cannabis out. 
to people that was 21 and older because when they made these laws, they made it, you could get recreational cannabis, but there was no place for you to buy it. So they start doing shit backwards, just like they did in California. And y'all keep doing the backwards shit. And then you wonder why, like right now in New York, we got an influx of cannabis stores. They are not dispensaries. Let's get that straight. They are just straight cannabis, cannabis stores selling trees because there's a loophole between recreational, medical, and the gray area where everybody's selling mm -hmm. and everybody's selling in that gray area. So there's all of that that's happening, which was different when we started, where I started within DC, hey, buy this card or this sticker, 40 bucks, buy this sticker, it's 80 bucks, buy this sticker, it's 120. But each sticker came with a gift of an eighth, a quarter, half an ounce or an ounce. So you literally, was giving it as a gift. They bought a sticker, a piece of artwork, art supply, um, postcard. You could put that on artists or whatever somebody wants to pay, but this was the gift we gave them. But it's, and that was the legal grounds that if they can't look, I wasn't selling shit. But still, I'd be a little nervous without a state that wasn't legal yet. You know, when you're in survival mode and you got to feed your family, you got to pay for gas, you got to pay for rent. Guess what? Tonight, if I can make eight, nine hundred bucks, pay my rent, fuck it. It's worth going to jail, yeah. going in and getting out because that's what people have to do. There's some people that are so fortunate, they born with money in their pocket at hand and just like, hey, try this, do that. Yeah. They may fail one or two business before they get something right. We don't have that opportunity. We don't have that urban money for somebody to give us an aunt and uncle. Here's eight thousand, here's twenty go get started on a business. No, mm -hmm. that's where we're falling behind. But where did you get the the education on the cannabinoid system? You know, because I mean, that's a very new thing. And I'm just curious how people are consuming this education. That's really what I'm, I'm wondering also. Well, in the beginning- Because you're knowledgeable about all that. So not only did you come from 20, 30, you, you know, 20 some years in the industry, but now there's a whole new wave of what the industry is like, which is education and health and wellness. And it's still lacking too, because as much as the yes. information and education you can get, they still stymie you and tell you, oh, you can't do that. Oh, you can't do that. I mean, people are selling CBD products here and there. You got media, um, social networks that allow you to post this and then they tell you you can't post that then you're shadow banned and you can't teach anybody, then it's legal, but you can't talk about it, then you can't sell it. I mean, it's so much a gang of bullshit that let me tell you, I'm going to distill some alcohol and let me see what they tell you about that. Mm -hmm. Let the cops come, oh, you're distilling alcohol in the place that you're giving. I'm not selling it, I'm giving it away. Yeah, yeah. Why are you doing it? It's illegal. Why is it illegal? Y'all sell alcohol. People don't know the parameters of what it takes to grow tobacco, make cigarettes, grow tobacco and make cigars or ferment and distill alcohol. All of those things come with something, just like growing cannabis, but those are all natural sources. Put it outside and grow, bring it inside. Ain't nobody growing tobacco inside their house. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. 
did you did you did you try to go down the path of 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 uh, getting a license for or, or explore the path of getting a license for being a cultivator or a dispensary owner? Yeah, part what of, was your experience with that? Part of my original uh, journey with trying to get anything that's based on cultivation and dispensary was fought with too much money. Um, so, so you decided not to get a to go for a dispensary or cultivation license, and then how did you stumble on the nursery license? It just isn't talked about a lot. Well, the cultivation license was part of the business plan, and the retail license was part of it. The dispensary was never a part of it because mm -hmm. it requires you to have land, property, almost two and a half, five million dollars, which most black folks do not have if you're coming from the streets trying to get into this business. Most people have got into this business and have done well from the streets and have made hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of dollars off of cannabis since the 70s up till now. But the terms and what we do today is different. How we grow it, how we distribute it, all that is a manufacturing, legal, illicit, maybe gray area business. But my business plan started with all of that except the dispensary because it wasn't in our plan because we didn't have that kind of money. And Who then- does? No, this is ridiculous. I don't understand this. There is no social equity. And also the money that they're, they're trying to fund the state to fund these uh, social equity entrepreneurs they're going to have, have to pay. A, they're going to have to pay a significant interest rate on the loan. Some of them, but some of them are loan free, or some of them are forgiveness loans. Are so they? No payback. But the problem is there was there was um, programs. One that this guy Chris Weber, NBA player, uh, he's not even from New York, but he was part of some um, investment group to help minorities in the state of New York, and they've misappropriated somewhere over five hundred million dollars. For a small and black business to uh, five hundred thousand million million yeah million mm -hmm. okay so um, a lot of those social equity problems programs they were snafu from the start even telling them like look you want to offer this and when they said well it's a person that has had a business successful business for two years or more which the first two years of most businesses it's not do successful. not make money fucking all i am in my second year of business and i am in the red and i'm constantly swimming to stay afloat so that part of it is bullshit the second part is those that was arrested for cannabis that qualify so you're saying a <laughs> It's, it's just fucking crazy. I You're know. saying a respectful business person who has made money in the first two or three years of their business, who got arrested for cannabis for whatever, smoking a joint, selling a joint, selling a pound, whatever, are eligible for this particular program. You left out people that just didn't even have the money and you left out all veterans. This is where we are today. None of it helps the well-rounded group of the people that need it. You got veterans that they'll go to war and Vietnam, 
the Korean War. And there's so many social equity veterans. Yeah, yeah. And none of those programs existed for them. Not one. And then when you look at, if you have to go and right now, out of the 52, uh, 30, 40, I think it's around 40 or 52 companies that applied for New York, you have to really go look at the basis of the companies that apply. Who's the CEO? Who's the CFO? Who are these companies? How long they've been in business? And then they understand that none of them are Black-faced in the first five people that organize it. I don't even care if you got this guy that was in jail for three years, got out. They're using his name and his persona yeah. to get this business under their company corporate name. They're going to include him somehow, but he'll probably have no ownership and no say-so in that business. Well, in that case, I would say that's not a good idea, but- But they've already think, done it. But I already, but I think it's an opportunity for a social equity uh, entrepreneur to, to ride on the coattails of some person who might have you know a leg up yeah and as long as it's a fair relationship I partnership, see how that could work that could work why not ride on the coattails of someone but not when it's not happening well you look at like my boy mike tyson tyson ranch like i don't know all of his business i don't know all of the financial setups but as i know as a homeboy growing up one mike is not a grower so who's ever growing is the master grower for his thing does he own the property that they own and growing? I don't know. Does he own the name Tyson Ranch? I don't know. But there are certain things that his name, his brand is attached to with him as a person is different than me. Buttermilk 420 Farms, B-Milk Grow Supplies, and the New York Cannabis Freedom Festival is attached to me by name and as a grower and as a person from Brooklyn and as a person that's been down the road with all of the nonsense of getting arrested, trying to grow it, starting a business. This is my first business and I'm 60 years old. So I don't have no behind <laughs> shit. No uncle granted me money. Nobody gave me shit, but I have been arrested more than four or five times with weed. What is that? What does that help me? Where's my grant? What do I get? I haven't seen anything. And you have a business. Um, yeah, right. Okay, well, that's that says it all. Um, so, so you okay? So you've decided to go down this road, which seems to be benefiting you as far as opening one of the first nurseries, and maybe you know once the industry settles, you can um, you know maybe expand more, and you know once all this crap gets sorted out. Yeah, you and, know. and people that I know that do have these little pop up stores, I encourage them. I said, look, bro, help you one thing to get legal, even if you're selling whatever. Start a nursery in your spot. Start growing something so when they come through the door, no matter what you're selling, stop them in their tracks because you are benefiting the community with a sourceful plant, with education knowledge. You do classes like me or they come to my store. However, but most of these guys, they don't take heed to that. They do what they want to do. Um, and smart. It's a smart plan. It is because for every legislative plan or law they try to put you in there's a fucking loophole in between every single bit and part of it yeah so you just got to figure out where you are challenge the court let them come in take your shit write down all the billings whatever they took whatever they fucked up and you sue their ass later because two things is going to happen whatever they don't make straight legislative wise once they ask get sued for it they're going to figure that legislative law out 
to not fucking do that again. So I know, right. So, okay. So th this brings up another issue I, I see happening in the marketplace is, and I, I totally agree. I think you're, that's great advice to people who want to get into the market, and, but who don't want to have that burdensome uh, debt in their, you know, that could just, you know, bury them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. But now there's so many craft growers coming out of the woodwork, right. uh, you know, but people, but, but it's get, being clouded by, you know, someone like you has been growing for 20 some years and you're, you're, you, you know, you're a master grower. Um, but there's people who are just coming out pretending to be growers or just jumping in the game now. And now there's so much competition with everybody selling their great craft weed. So that's going to be a flood in the marketplace. How do you, how will, but, how will know, they stand out? That's going to be fine. And they're never going to produce enough at home in these small little locations. Okay, if they have two or three tents, you could grow one or two pounds. If you know how to grow one pound per plant, um, like what we could help you try to get to, you could do better off with seven plants. Now you got seven pounds. You could sell seven pounds. That could be eight, 10, 12 pounds. You could make some bread off of that. But if you're just a novice and learning, you're getting two ounces of plant, three ounces, you're growing too many different plants and not five and six of the same strains. That's what you lose because the moment you sell out of one and everybody love it, now you don't have any more. What kind of, um, okay, so I guess we're just going to have to wait to see how that all shakes out. But it seems like, you know, there's there's a lot of competition in the marketplace right now with people who can't get in on licenses, but are, you know, going to sell their craft weed and who are probably pretty good at it. From a few people that I've met, right. So um, I guess they'll just be selling in the underground, and there's so many people that want to buy it anyway that it's not going to really be. Uh, uh, yeah, it's not going to be over over uh, saturated. Over saturated. Well, the thing is, people that just grow it for themselves and don't mind giving it to a few friends, that's never going to stymie the market. Right. This market is selling somewhere between. Uh, 60 to 100 pounds of weed per year. And really? If not more. And if not more, um, there's other breakdowns like edibles, there's um, concentrates, there's CBD, there's bath products. So it's broken down so many different areas. It's not just a smoking community, but there's a community of people that's using it for health and wellness, uh, for their medical properties, and also for um, recreation. So whatever people want, there's an area that they could survive if they're doing their own kind of growing and, uh, would you say, micro growers for people that wants to do crafting, like beer. You would craft your own beer at home. Are they coming to your crib giving you fucking hassle like they would give somebody with weed? Hell to the no. <laughs> so there's certain things like right there, you already start telling them like, look, man, this is community-based, it's education, and it, this is what it is. Once you get your license for that, like me as a nursery girl, shit, most of my business now, I have to go to little flower shops, little stores that's selling... Uh, their plants for every holiday, Mother's Day, Easter, 
I sell them rows of plants and let them sell them to their people. Because they got more people, more traffic than I'm getting. I sold a guy a rack of 12 plants plus a couple of mature plants. He sold all of them within two weeks. And guess what? I don't know what, what uh, maybe you know the New York state law, but um, Massachusetts just allowed dispensaries to sell plants in their store. See? So you're going to have, that's where your business is. This, you know, way, this you, is why we've been ahead you, of the curve you are, for years. You, I'm an innovator with this shit. You are. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> this is a great... Seeds, different shit. People but, be like, where could you get seeds? They calling me all the time. I need seeds. I want to come up. Do you ship? Do you do? It's best you come into the store. You can get it. Once they come in and they see the plants. People are like, yo, can I buy that? Can I... Sure, but take you, it home and you grow. could be feeding the dispensaries. That could be like the end goal. Yeah. You don't need a dispensary. Right, exactly. Because this is also your expertise. Right. They gave me another area in which I could attack the market without being pro, say, this particular genre, dispensary or this or grower or well, caregiver. You're, you're, you're escaping, you're sidestepping the ridiculous cost it would take to do that's going to bury these social equity entrepreneurs i really feel like that's what's going to happen in oh, the yeah. long run and the state's going to go oh sorry it's the same thing it's like oh we'll be open by october um dispensaries are open go ahead farmers plant your seeds now they're sitting there with all this crop and lost money and what's I the state that. doing nothing that. so let me ask you just like here what have really? you ever seen or been in a store like ours here at Bevo Grow Supply? No. No. There's no stores exist like this no. where you get seeds. We got a little small lab over there. We got the nursery. We got clones. You got no, you can get your nutrients. You get, you get a complete package when you come over here. Yeah, I know. I've never seen anything like this. It's, it's fantastic. I think it's a great entryway, a safe entryway into the market. So you don't lose your shirt. Yeah. And, and, and it's also in your, and you're sitting here playing with plants all yeah, day and doing what you it. do and trim and it's like you're in your element mm -hmm. so i think it's amazing but also how it could lead into maybe supplying other nurseries or helping people launch their nurseries or supplying dispensaries yeah. with these plants when they get to it and they want certain plants if they're allowed to in new york if that happens here that's going to i will be able to be like hey we're a nursery i could give you this strain and I could bring you 24 plants, 30 plants, 60 plants. And because our nursery, we got two locations. Oh, really? Yeah, we got the store here plus my other location. So oh my. we can grow a thousand plants in each location. Wow. I could grow up to uh, five uh, five plants each for six people as a caregiver also. So And you're giving classes here? Every Wednesday, six to eight, and every other Sunday, Three to five. Wow. And can, are you getting people signing up? They're coming in this slow, but, mm -hmm. you know, this is our second year going in, you know, 14th month, 16th month. Um, it's slow grinding, but people are getting it and they slowly. Are you putting it in like event, uh, like events, you know? We are, but here's what I find. You know, I, 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 I'm I, in a few. I, I think you're on to it. Yeah, I agree. I'm in a, Indeed, Facebook, Instagram. 
but you can be getting people coming from all over the borough like yeah at certain times like if, you I, do. If, if i had if i had light in my that i could grow mm-hmm. i would be here in a second but yeah let me go over there and get some info <laughs> yeah i know i really info want how to grow yeah no yeah. i think you know i think it's, people go home and they take a plant like this and they be like yo yes fucking six weeks I'm going to be chopping that down and that's going to be something good to smoke. Yeah, no, I think we'll show you how to do it. That's amazing. So, um, and then I guess I would just like to, well, actually I do just want to ask you a question about uh, cultivation. Is there, are there certain strains that New York is really popular for? Um, for the way things is like today, if somebody said, you know, people are after what they are calling celebrity strains, new strains, strains that are, not your traditional phenotype like a Northern Lights or Sour Jack, um, Sour Diesel or Jack Harrow. So now they're going for like stuff that came out a couple of years ago, like Dosey Doe, Gumbo, all these other things, but they're all very different. They, they are a blend and a mix of two or three other strains. They probably don't have a seed for those particular strains. They're only out and lasting for a short period of time. People take credit for it. It's big amongst those that want to spend that top dollar because this person or that person says, yo, this is the best fire fire. Whatever. Everybody have their own preference. Mm-hmm. What we do is a more kindred spirit towards crafting uh, weed in its original genetics, but using our method, style, and cycle to make it a proper great smoke taste feel on what it's supposed to be, but not taking it into a steroid-based, steroid kind of fashionable weed, which is what happens. Every two or three years, we get one like gumbo, like dosi do, like um uh pineapple sunshine or something, or the or the sunshine super sherbet. They mm-hmm. come every three or four years. Oh, this is the best new spread. Yo. So you got apes right now. People are selling it for $25, $30, $40. But then you'll get those popular celebrity strains. They want $60, $80 for 3.5, which means an ounce of that weed is over $500, which means a pound of that is over $600, $6,000. So this is what we was used to more so in the 70s, 80s for high, super top-grade weed. But because the breakdown of so many hybrids, fashionable weeds, this grower, that grower, this breeder, that strain. It's gotten so far out, you can't even keep up. Uh, what's your favorite uh, strain? What do you like? Um, Are you a high THC consumer? Or yeah, but I love more, a lot of the uh, uh, sativas. Mm-hmm. Didn't know it going into it in the beginning. But once I realized it got the education of certain strains that I do like, they a few of them have become three of them are sativas like sour diesel sour jack the red dragon um green crack uh amnesia haze those are my top mm-hmm. three type uh cannabis strains i've blended made and breeded some of those for my own strain the b milk 420 mm-hmm. but at the same time if i get and deal with the straight genetics of those particular ones like a haze, an amnesia haze, um, sour diesel, green crack. I'd go with those all the time over something like 
um, super duper Kim Dog, upside down, OG Kush. You know what I'm saying? That shit's so long. You're like, well, damn, it must got six of different, eight different strains in it to make one. How yeah. you gonna keep up with that shit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and did you have a mat? Did you have a mentor, a growing mentor? Did you learn from somebody or did you? Did I did. You I learned from two, a couple of different guys at different times. One when I was a teenager, another time when I was in my 30s. One was in upstate New York, where I used to work in a barn shoveling shit. And then one time the guy was like, hey, we're going to smoke a joint while we was riding. I was like, what? we can smoke a joint while we riding horses. And then they oh showed me. Oh, my God. When, what, when was that? That was back in the late 70s. Oh, my yeah. God. You're like, what? That's I was like 16, 17 years old. No. Yeah. And then come to find out there's a guy lived in my building in Brownsville in the projects. Was growing weed and had a whole room full bags of weed like I never seen like. How do you have that shit in the projects right here? But I go upstate and hang out in the barn and shoveling shit. And they got we it blew my mind. But at the same time, got me more involved with High Times magazine because it was the only one that I knew about that existed. Um, they had a movie, Cheech and Chong, Cheech and Chong goes to LA or whatever. Then they had an album for their comedy, which was made out of a um a pack of bamboo sheets and literally. If you still had the original from back in the 70s, it had one big sheet in it the size of the album cover. Album, which was a comedy album, had one long sheet of bamboo in it, the length of an album. So the length of an album opened up into a bamboo thing was that long. And that's how they made a joint in the movies. Oh, the that's, length that's of an album. That huge joint. Yeah. Uh, so if okay. you could ever get a collector's copy of that and i'm sure it's probably costing several now thousand maybe hundred thousands but to get an original copy of the movie of that album you're going to spend some bread for it yeah and if you open it and just see it but i'm just telling you because it exists it's in there i remember when we had it you know wild man steve um who else was that dynamite dynamo all these guys came out in the 70s richard Pryor, all these guys that was comedians, they all had albums. Even Moms Mabley had one in the 70s when I was growing up. Red Fox, Bill all Cosby. of these, Bill Cosby. <laughs> I remember that Fucking one. Red, uh, um, oh, Red Fox from, yeah. from Sanford and Son. So all these was the comedians and guys that grew up that I was doing. And when they started talking weed, my mom would be like, hey, shut your ears, go in there. not talk about that. But that one thing with the Chicha Chong was the shit. That album, Big Bamboo, that didn't even exist in the 70s. They didn't even make Big Bamboo until like the late 80s or the 90s. But you saw Big, you saw Bamboo, and that was it. What an interesting story. I'm excited for you. I really, now that I really know what you're doing, I, I see your path, and I think you're
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.